God wants us to know him by name. Say that with me. God wants us to know him by name. Yeah, let's say it again. It should be on the screen. God, there we go, wants us to know him by name. Yeah, and if we step back to the original Hebrew language, the language the Old Testament was originally written in and then later translated into English for us, if we step back to this original language, Hebrew language, we find that God revealed himself in many names in the Old Testament specifically. Honestly, when I stepped into doing some research and study for this series, I began to be amazed at the fact that God revealed himself to us at all. I mean, it's just to stop and think about that for just a moment. And then to think that, okay, now he's revealing himself to us, to mankind, but he can't be confined under one name because he's too big. His characteristics are too huge. And so we look at several different names because we have to piece it all together. I used to say that, you know, trying to understand God is like trying to pour the Pacific Ocean in a five-ounce Dixie cup. And, and that's kind of the way I feel about God. There's so much of God that I, I'm constantly seeing different sides and learning different things about him. I don't know about you, but when I go into God's word, the Bible, and I open it up and I read it every day, I'm, I'm seeing things that I never saw before. And for me in my profession, um, it's scriptures that I've taught on. And, and so I'm so amazed that, you know, I'll, I'll think, wow, I've taught this like a trillion times. How did I miss this? You know, and it's because God has given me just a different side of him. And it's because of how I'm, you know, what I'm facing in life and where, I'm, where I am in life right now in that juncture of my life that God begins to reveal himself. And what's interesting, this is off notes, but in the Old Testament specifically, when God reveals a name, it is a transition point. It's always a transition point for his people that he reveals something new about himself. We'll see that as we go on later in the weeks and take a look at different names. But it's always these transitions that God says, here, you're going through something. Let me reveal this side of me to you. Let me show you who I am and what I can do right now in your life because this is who I am. So I'm amazed. I'm amazed at this. The names of God reveal so much about him. So I want you to get this down in your outline. By learning the names of God, we get to know him more. By learning the names of God, we get to know him more. One of the greatest ways to know God is, is by the names given in Scripture. We get to know him. We get to know what he does. In fact, I really believe that we don't really know God until we know him by his name. And so we want to lean in on this. This is so important if you are a follower of Jesus to know the names of God because it shows us who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. And there was a passage that David wrote about this. It's kind of the, the um, keystone passage for us in this series. Take a look at it. Those who know your name trust in you. And that's really the emphasis that we're pushing through is that in order to trust God, you need to know his name. And, and when you know his name, it causes you to trust him. And so it, it just kind of works together in that. In fact, I want you to circle the word know. Say it with me. Know. Would you circle it on your outline? It's an interesting word. It, it, our English word comes from a Hebrew word that's yada. Say it with me, yada, yada. You just learned some Hebrew today. What it means is to have an intimate, personal relationship with. So, so basically the writer, David, the psalmist, is saying, those who know your name. He's saying, those who not, not know about you, 
those who, you know, don't just know who you are. He's saying those who intimately, personally, fully, deeply, closely know you are able to trust you. It's an intimate experience. To, to clarify this word yada a little bit more, we find the same word used in Genesis chapter 4. Take a look, and I'm so glad that our kids are in kids' way today because this is where it gets a little PG-13. Take a look at what it says. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. I want you to circle that word new. Now, we know what it's talking about there, right? It's talking about having sexual relations with his wife, an intimate, up-close, personal relationship. It's the same word, yada. It's the same Hebrew word that's in our passage in Psalm 9, verse 10. To know God in this way, to know him intimately. In fact, the, the brother of Jesus, James, writes this, come close to God and God will come close to you. It's true. In fact, everything God does is about being in a relationship with us. I don't know if you have realized that or not. Everything he does is about being in this relationship, this close, intimate, personal relationship. Everything in the Bible, in the Old Testament, New Testament, shows us this truth, that God wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship with you. We talked about last week that God first revealed himself in a title that was given, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you remember, we talked about that word God being the name or the title, rather, Elohim, which is powerful creator. But what's interesting is God didn't just reveal himself as Elohim, as a powerful creator. He didn't just reveal himself as a God who, who creates things, puts everything in motion, and then remains distant. No, he went the next step, and he revealed himself very clearly as a God who wants to be up close and personal. Take a look at Genesis chapter 2. So just one chapter over in Genesis. In Genesis 1, he reveals himself as Elohim, the powerful creator, but yet distant God. In Genesis chapter 2, we are actually introduced to the real name, proper name of God. Take a look. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. I want you to circle the word Lord on your outline. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the, there it is again, circle it again, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God, circle it again, placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God, circle it again, warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit from every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the, there it is again, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the, there it is again, the Lord God, circle it, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Say it with me. Lord God, circle it, took out one of man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the, there it is again, the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. So here we see the most frequently used name of God 
in the Old Testament. In fact, what's interesting is it's so common, so frequent, that it is translated as the word Lord. And usually in English versions of the Bible, it's all caps. So in your Bible, it's probably all caps. On the uh, mobile device that you use, if you use Uversion, um, it's, that app shows it in all caps. Since ancient Hebrew has no vowels, what's interesting is in the original text, this word Lord was actually four Hebrew consonants. It was uh, Y-H-V-H, or some people say Y-H-W-H. It depends on what scholar you're looking at. Um, but it, it's uncertain as to how this name was pronounced. What's interesting is there's, there's so many uses of this name, but no one really knows how to really pronounce it in the way that it was presented. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But within the Greek Septuagint, hang on here, I know this is a little bit of school, but in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, it gives us vowels. And it indicates that the name is pronounced, guess what? Yahweh. We just sang a song. We just ended with a song talking about Yahweh. So here we have Elohim, which means powerful creator, is a title. But Yahweh is God's proper name in Hebrew. We're going to see where we get that in just a moment. So it's important for us to see the frequency that it is used, that it is common throughout the Old Testament. But the name Yahweh is not used in the creation account of Genesis up until man enters the picture, up until God gets personal, gets in a relationship with man. It's interesting to me. Shows us that God has a goal, that, that he doesn't want to just be known as some generic deity, but he wants to be known as an up-close and personal God with a name that carries that purpose. He wants us to know him as Yahweh. And since Yahweh is not a title, it's a, it's a name, this name is viewed as, as the most sacred name for God in Scripture. So sacred that it was never said. In fact, the Jews avoided saying the name for fear of breaking the second commandment. And even today, Orthodox Jews will never say this name. And so in the ninth century, scholars decided to transliterate this name into a name that people would use. In the ninth century, they came up with the word, guess what? Jehovah or Yahovah. And so Yahweh became Jehovah to us, which follows the phonetic spelling of, of the word Jehovah. And this became the acceptable way. And it actually today is the acceptable name that Jews use for God. Now, what's interesting, though, is then in the 20th century, 19th, really end of the 19th century, and 20th century, scholars went back to Yahweh because they felt it was more close to the original text. Why am I giving you all this? It's because God wants us to know him by name. That's what I want you to get today. He wants us to know him by name. It's important for us to realize how he's revealing himself in specific situations in Scripture because he wants to reveal himself to us in our lives in that way. I think God revealed himself with this second name of Yahweh on purpose. It wasn't coincidence. He wanted to show us how much he wants to be in relationship with us. I believe that he wants to take us to that next level. He wants us to see that he wants to be in a close, personal relationship with you and I. In fact, get this down. The name Yahweh reveals the God of relationship. He's not just a powerful creator God. He's a God of relationship. 
Now, we already saw how the name Yahweh, or Lord, was used in Genesis 2, but I, I want to really bring some emphasis and some clarity to this, how clearly we can see that God wants to be known as a God of relationship because his name is being used in that way. So we know this story. God, uh, the Lord God, Yahweh God, creates man, puts him in the garden to take care of the Garden of Eden, right? And we know what the rest of the story plays out, how it plays out. Genesis 3, one day the serpent asked the woman, did God really say to you, say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? I want you to notice something right up front. He says, did God? It's interesting that in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created. Genesis 2, the Lord God, Yahweh God, created mankind and put him in the garden. And now Genesis 3, when Satan enters with temptation, it's no longer Yahweh God, it's Elohim God again. He backs up. He never uses Lord God. He only uses God. In fact, you're going to see Eve only uses the name of God, Elohim, never Yahweh in their conversation. Take a look. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the, middle, from the trees in the garden. The woman said, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God, not Lord God, God said, you must not eat, uh, eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And the serpent said, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God. Knowing both good and evil, the woman was convinced. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband. I love this. Who was with her? So who's standing right there. Okay, a lot of the times they say, see, it was Eve's fault. Ah, no. It was a husband who didn't say anything. Anyway, that's a whole other marriage topic right there, right? She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame. So how many times in that passage do you see the name Lord None. You know why? Satan never uses the name Yahweh when tempting Adam and Eve. Hmm. Now, I mean, we can read right through this passage and kind of miss that. I shared this week with my wife, this, this stuff. And both of us were like, you know, it's, it's amazing. There was no coincidence here. It's amazing how God just shifts and shifts and shifts. And, and you see that, that God is trying to reveal himself. And now we see that Satan is saying, no, I don't, I don't want you to know God in this way. I mean, he, Satan was okay with them acknowledging the distant creator God somewhere out there. But he didn't want them to think of Yahweh, the close relationship God. See, when, when Yahweh is brought into the conversation... God becomes personal and interactive and real. Satan didn't want Adam and Eve to think of being in a relationship with God. Satan wanted them to drop the whole idea of relating to God. Why? I'll tell you why. Because it's easier to sin against and walk away from a distant God, but hard to walk away from a God of relationship. Hmm. See, Satan was hiding this relational aspect of sin. He, he doesn't want us to know that our sin affects our relationships. Not only with God, but with other people. 
It affects it. Our sin affects it. it don't ever think that you, when you sin, when you do something wrong, that it's just affecting you, that you are an island and you, you do not affect anybody around you. No, that's not true. Husbands, when you sin, it affects your marriage. Wives, it affects your marriage. Moms, dads, when you sin, it affects your kids. Here's a big one. When you sin as a follower of Christ at Pathway Church, guess what? It affects our church. Hmm. See, and Satan, Satan doesn't want you to think that way. Satan just wants you to think, oh, it's just a little sin. It'll affect just you, no one else. Hmm. Never works that way. See, Satan wants you to miss that part. See, the, the worst part of losing the Garden of Eden, we know how it ended up, right? Adam and Eve, they send. God had a conversation with them, and then ultimately they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right? And a lot of times we think, oh, wow, it's too bad they got kicked out of that perfect place to live. Their rent went up. I mean, they had bad neighbors from that point on. And, you know, and no, no. Th think about this. The, the worst part of losing the, the Garden of Eden was losing their relationship with God. They lost what they had with him. I mean, think about being in a relationship. We're going to get to this in just a minute, but think about being in a relationship when you can walk with God through the fields and the forests and the jungles and the garden where he's that close with you, where you're having a, a conversation, one-on-one -on -one conversation with him as you walk together. We, we, we can't get our mind around that. You know why? Because sin ruined it for us. We live in a broken world. Our world is affected because of sin, because, because of what Adam and Eve did way back in the garden. And our whole world, our whole life is affected by that. See, Satan doesn't mind you being religious, and he doesn't mind you believing in some God, but he doesn't want you experiencing an up-close-and-personal relationship with Yahweh. He, he doesn't want you to be close to God. When God remains distant, it's easier for him to twist things and add things and manipulate things in your life. When you're not close with God, it's easier to tempt you, to tempt you to give up what's most important for something right now. And he knows that. Adam and Eve sinned. God wants relationship. Adam and Eve sinned. But God wasn't going to leave them there. Take a look, verse 8. When the cool breezes were blowing, keep in mind, up to this point now in this temptation account of Genesis 3, remember Yahweh, the name Yahweh, Lord, was never used. It was just God, distant God. But it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God, Yahweh, walking in the garden. I read this verse every time, and I, I just, my mind, my mind's doing it right now. I just, I can't help but stop and think about what it would be like to hear God walking in the garden. What's that sound like? To, to know, to know his sound. Now, if you've been married for any length of time, it's interesting you know each other's sound. When my wife, I could be sitting in my office, and when my wife comes into our office 
and then turns and it's going to go back into my office, I know it's her. There's, there's a sound about her walk. When she enters a room, I know it's her. Because I hear the, the sound of her, you know, her, her gait or her shuffle or whatever you want to call it. I, I know her walk. What would it be like to know God that way? To, to hear him walking, to know that it's him. Yahweh God. Hmm. It says, so they hid from the Lord God. And look at what the Lord God does. The Lord God, Yahweh God, the God of relationship, calls to them, where are you? Do you think he's trying to get GPS on them? Do you think the all-powerful, all-creative, all-knowing God doesn't know where they are? I mean, it's kind of like you playing hide-and-go-seek with a two-year-old, and they're hiding behind the curtains, and you see their feet, right? Where are you? I'm looking for you, you know, and they're, and they're over there, <laughs> they're giggling behind the curtain. You know what I'm talking about. That, that's kind of the way it is. God is like, really? You're hiding? Don't you think I'm going to find you? I know everything about you. What is he saying? Where are you? You know what he's saying? Something has happened in our relationship. Where are you? What's happened? What? We're not where we were. Maybe you've said that before to somebody that you were close to and then something happened and you might have said to them, man, where are we now? That's what God's saying. Where are you? The Lord is used. Yahweh is used. The God of relationship relating to Adam and Eve, again, comes into this garden after they sin, and he says to them, where are you? What, what has happened? Let me show you a little bit better display of this Yahweh, and this is really where we see this name introduced. It's in the life of Moses. I don't want to shift gears a little bit here, but I think this is really good for us. Moses, you know, is shepherding the flock of sheep on the backside of nowhere, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appears to him in a bush. And so Moses goes closer to see the burning bush. Look at verse 4 of Exodus 3. When the Lord, guess what? There's the name, Yahweh. When Yahweh saw Moses was coming to look at the bush, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the, and the God of Jacob. So God is telling Moses that he has heard the cries of the Hebrews and he wants to change things for him. He wants to bring them out of slavery from Egypt into their own land. And then guess what? He pops the question to Moses. He says, and I want you, if you're willing, to be the leader, to lead them out. Look what Moses says to God in verse 13. When I go to the Israelites and I will say to them, the God of your ancestors sent me to you. What if the people say, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Circle those two words, I am. Look what God says. This is what you should tell the people. The, say it with me, Lord, circle that word. The Lord is the God of your ancestors. Friends, Lord is not a title, it's a name, and his name is Yahweh. 
Yahweh is the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He sent me to you. Look what he says. God says, this will always be my name by which from now on, uh, by which rather people from now on will what? What's that word? No, no. What's that word in Hebrew? Remember? Yada. He's saying, by this name, Yahweh, people will know me, yada me, be in an intimate, up close, personal relationship with me. That, that God is saying, this is who I am, this is who I want to be in your life. And if you know this name, then you will know me in intimate relationship. Because that's how I want to be known. The, the origin of I am, this will blow your mind, it did for me. The, the origin of the phrase, I am, is exactly the same as Yahweh. So God is using this name to push forth, forward this idea that he wants to be so close to us. He doesn't want to be a distant God. He doesn't want us to experience religion. He wants us to experience relationship with him. Yahweh. God uses this name Yahweh when he speaks with Moses in connection with his desire to have a relationship. And he says, look what he says. He says, this will always be my name by which people from now on will know me. Yada. So we jump ahead in the timeline, right? We pick up with Moses. By now Moses had led the people out of Egyptian slavery. And, and in fact, Exodus 12 tells us that there were 600,000 men, not counting women and children, in the group. 600,000 that he was leading. How would you like to start leading a group, never have any leadership experience other than hanging around with flocks of sheep? How would you like to start by leading a group of 600,000 plus people on a journey through the desert? <laughs> Do you think he was dependent on God? Do you think he was going to God every chance he had? Oh man, I bet he was. I bet his knees were worn out from praying. In fact, in that culture, it's more like our Middle Eastern culture today. They would, they would bow before God. And when it says bow, it's, it's prostrate. It's, it, uh, it, uh, prostrate, rather. It's down on your face. Your face is on the ground. And so and not just your knees. I mean, your face is worn out. He is worn out by, by coming before God. It's so important for us to see that. So whenever they camped, Moses had this habit. He would set up this place, this, this tent, where he would meet with God. And he set it up outside the camp specifically because he wanted the people to realize that he was connecting with God and that they would connect, could connect with God as well. And so we're told that as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, which represented God's presence, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance, the entrance of the tent, while the Lord spoke, notice the name, the Lord spoke with Moses. And inside the tent... The Lord, Yahweh, would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. I mean, again, think about this. It's, it's, it's almost as if Moses is experiencing the presence of God like Adam was experiencing the presence of God in the garden. It's this face to face conversation. It's this up close and personal relating that he had with God. 
Moses regularly spent time face-to-face with God. If you, if you read through that passage a little bit later in Exodus 34, it says that he spent so much time with God that his face began to glow. And that when he would come out of the tent, his face would glow, and it kind of scared the people. And, and so he would wear a veil over his face so that they would not be afraid. That's how much God's presence was affecting Moses. You'd think he would be satisfied with that. I mean, I mean, would you? If, if you had the chance to regularly meet with God face-to-face, he would talk with you. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, I'm good. I mean, I'm good my whole life. Just, just give me a couple of experiences like that. Psh, I'm done. That's all I need. That, that'll get me from here to heaven, right? That's all I need. But Moses, it was not enough. I mean, he kept pressing in and kept pressing in. He wanted to experience more and more of God. I think it's kind of like tasting something good. You know, there's a scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You just taste, you taste and see that he is so good. And it's like, oh man, I want more. You ever have that? Where you, you have some dessert and it's like, can I have more of that? You know, it's just, I've seen some of you guys out at the, the snack table after service sometimes when somebody brings something good, I get out there and it's all gone. It's because you guys have had two and three helpings of it. I didn't get any of it, right? I mean, that's the way it is. And he, you taste it and it's like, man, I, I want more. Moses is saying, I, I just want, I want more of you, God. I, I'm not satisfied with the face-to-face conversation on a regular basis. I want more of you, God. Look what it says. One day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people to the promised land. If you don't go with us, don't make us leave this place. He's saying, this is really good right here. You're providing our needs. I'm meeting with you face to face on a regular basis. Forget moving from here. Let's just leave us here. If you're not going to go with us, if I don't have your presence with me, I can't lead these people. Look what happens. The Lord, Yahweh, replies, I will do what you have asked for, for I know you by name. And Moses says, okay, then show me your presence. Like, like show me your, your glory. There, there, there's a, there was a thing in that day, and there still is today throughout you know, ancient kinds of religions that, that if you saw the face of God, you would die. And Moses is like, ah, I, don't, I don't buy into all that. I mean, I, I have got to see you. I need more of you. I can't handle what I'm facing. I'm overwhelmed by what I'm facing and leading these people and thinking of the calling that you have in my life. I need to see you. Show me your presence. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Don't miss this. And I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. And so we read in Exodus 34, verse 5. This is amazing. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses. How did that feel? How, how would it feel? <laughs> let, me, let me just give you something here. Do you know who wrote the book of Exodus in the Bible? Moses. He, he wrote the first five books called the Pentateuch. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote Exodus. So he's writing about his account with God. And he says, 
the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with me. He stood there with me. Man, what would that feel like? And it says, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. Everything God does is about being in a relationship with us. Friends, get this down. God wants to be in a relationship with me. He really does. He wants to be in a relationship with you, not in a religion with you, not only seeing you at church, not just hearing from you when you have a need. The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything God wants to be in an up-close and personal relationship with you and with me. And that should blow your mind that he wants to be involved in your life to that degree on that level. God wants to be in a relationship with us. Listen, you go into this week, that should be the hope of all hopes. God wants to be in a relationship with me. Doesn't matter what I face at work, doesn't matter how I feel, God wants to be in a relationship with me. That rhymes, doesn't it? That's the thing to think. God wants to be in a relationship with me. Doesn't matter how you're treating me right now, boss or coworker. Doesn't matter, spouse, how you're treating me. Doesn't matter what's going on in my life. Doesn't matter what the doctor is saying. Doesn't matter how my finances look. Doesn't matter. God wants to be in a relationship with me. And he's Yahweh. And he wants to be close. This morning... 4.22 on the clock, I woke up. Um, don't always do this, but I woke up, and I felt like God was talking to me about today. And some of you, your faces went through my mind, just a few of you. And I felt like God said to me, they're lonely. are lonely and then he said to me what's your point I knew exactly what he said what he meant I knew I knew he was talking about this point that God wants to be in a relationship with us and I felt like God was saying to me Bart tell those who are lonely that he wants to be in a relationship with them He's, he's, he has done everything. Listen, he has done everything on his side, on his end, to open up a relationship for you with him. It's just your choice. I mean, salvation, it's that, that first step of coming to God, that, that's your choice. You say, some of you may say, well, you know, I got saved. I, I, I've experienced salvation in my life a long time ago. I, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, but are you close to God? I mean, are you really close to God? Are you really in a relationship with him? Or is it just religion to you on Sundays? Do you have conversation with him? Do you really know him? Or do you know about him? 
How often do you open up the word that he's written to you? Or is it just on Sundays? Hmm. And it's a wonder that we live lonely lives when we don't access the God who wants to be in relationship with us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, literally my favorite, is Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 is a verse, I, I don't, it, it was before I even came here, so it, this has got to be like a 30-year verse in my life. God spoke this to me in, in a time when I needed to know that he was with me. And as I'm listening to God this morning at 422, now probably about 426 or so, God, and I'm I don't know if it was me just remembering this verse or if it was God speaking this verse. I don't know. But the words just started coming. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you. And as, as those words just kind of washed over my mind, you know what I did? <laughs> in my mind, I circled that word in red. Lord, just like we've been doing all day today, I circled it and I'm like, that's Yahweh. I've never seen it. This 30-year verse in my life and I've never caught the fact that God is saying, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, don't be lonely. For the Lord, your God, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of relationship is with you. Would you bow your heads with me?